welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the 12th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 23rd, 2020. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited with where we're at in the world. And it's something that's been really something I've been very passionate about lately. There's so much negative news about the whole pandemic in which we're in and what we are and aren't able to do. And one of the narratives that I really don't think has been discussed and talked about enough is the opportunity that is here in the church right now. And let me unpack this a little bit, and it ties into a little bit where we're going this week. We talked about as coming from a Protestant faith background, with the Reformation and Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses and that whole thing that led to a major shift in the church was 500 years ago. And every about 500 years, there's a major shift within the church. And when the 500-year anniversary came up, so many people were talking about what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's the big next thing. And when I look at what is going on in the world and where we're at right now, the discussion that I'm not hearing enough is this is it. This is the thing that is changing the church. And we can either be in this position of looking at how hard and difficult and fast this has all happened in the scheme of church history, Or we can look at this as, yes, we have to continue to mourn some of the things that we're going to have to leave behind, but this is our opportunity. This is our moment to make major steps forward, to move in a new direction, to have God show us where the church is moving and start to lay the foundation on what I feel is the next movement within the church. And yes, I can't even fully tell you what that all is, but I know that there's got to be a lot of right elements of what's been going on lately. And I think it's really inspiring and really energizing to look at where the church and faith and everything is going right now as all this is going on. And to me, that's really, really exciting. But in that statement, we have to look back to last week's Twitter question because it does open us up to exactly what I was talking about last week. And based off the responses we got this last week on it, I did not intend this to be as tough and hard-hitting of a question as it was. But looking back on it now a week later, it is. Take an honest look at yourself and pause for a moment. Where are your blind spots in your life Where are your blind spots in your faith? And we got various different answers. People just responding with, this really hit home for me. People responding with, that's what the confession is in church, which I really loved. The idea of the known and unknown and within ourselves and the stuff we would be willing to confess and things we wouldn't be willing to confess. But yet God goes in and cleans that all out, which is beautiful. I had another one talking to me about the images within their head of how they discriminated against another person and how later on as they were going through stuff, understanding the layers of what was maybe going on, that there was more there to the story than what they initially understood. And that's 
kind of where we're all at. And if we want to take this week and next week, this week we will have a, a gospel text that makes Peter look like a hero. Next week, we will have a gospel text that makes Peter look like the scum of the earth. And I think in a lot of ways, and we'll get into this really shows and exemplifies what it's like to be a Christian. And Peter showing this in a very beautiful way. And I'm really excited to talk about it this week. But let's just jump into it. And I'm going to jump right into that first reading this week, which is out of Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 6. You get the tie-in within the gospel text, which you'll find here in a few minutes, of coming from more verses 1 and 2, talking about how we are out of the rock of what God dug out of the quarry for us. But it's this reading kind of reminding us of where we came from. Reminding us to Abraham and Sarah, reminding us how God didn't desert us and that God was helping lead us into these places of which he promised, that he continued to provide his salvation. And we just need to continue to recognize and give praise to God with that and understanding that God has done this before, leading us as Christians, but at this point, Israelites through the different trials and tribulations in life, and so that we need to be able to recognize that within our own lives and be able to continue to understand that it's God that is steering us in the right direction. The alternative or continuous first reading is from Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through chapter 2, verse 10. And it kind of plays really well with the other first reading. And this is kind of a continuation right after last week where we get in the first line. We have a new Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph and he puts the Israelites to work because he is scared because they have continued to multiply and are a great nation. And as he sees that this isn't stopping them, he then decides to bring in the midwives, Shephra and Pua, who are two heroes that don't get talked about, women heroes in the text. And these Hebrew midwives, he tells them to kill the boys and save the girls. And as the nation continues to grow, the Pharaoh calls them in and he's like, what is going on? Why are these boys living? And they come up with this story that the Hebrew women are just more vigorous than the Egyptian women and the boys pop out before they're able to get there. And so he then puts this thing again that to drown all these boys. And then we get this shift as we move into chapter 2. Out of the house of Levi, there is a Levite woman. She bears a son, so this would have been Hebrew baby, hides him for three months, realizes she can't hide them anymore, puts it in a basket. Her daughter decides to watch from afar. The Pharaoh's daughter comes and sees this baby with the people she's with. The sister of the child offers to help find someone to nurse the baby. They agree to that. And so when the child is grown enough, brings the baby to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter names the child Moses. And she said she drew him out of the water. So the beginning of this leader of Moses 
really cool story awesome to kind of hear this and it's not just the almost fairy tale like quality at times that we get in sunday school kind of getting a little bit more into the meat and potatoes of what was going on there the psalm this week is psalm 138 verses 1 through 8 This is a psalm, again, of recognizing the power of God and understanding how great our God is and that he's able to continue to be with us in these times of trouble and then lifts us up and is continuing to embrace us with the love that he has. So thus, giving praise to him is the right thing to do. The second reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And we get this beautiful passage of Paul being Paul and even coming right in the first verse. If I jump in midway, so about part B, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This idea that God living in us changes us and helps us to be who God is calling us to be and transforms us into the people that it wants to be. Remember those words in a few minutes. The gospel text is out of Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. So we have Jesus in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples and he asks his disciples, Who do others say that he is? They respond with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then says, who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus blesses him and recognizes that, yes, I am this. And then verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And then he gets this very interesting dialogue right at the end that he orders his disciples not to tell anybody that he is the Messiah. And that's where our gospel this week ends. So in this very kind of almost cliffhanger type of note we get to leave off on. So we get to then talk about how faith and science come together in these texts. But before we do, I have to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to listen to not only four different seminary professors in their Sermon Brainways podcast, but also multiple commentaries of multiple biblical scholars, plus other discussions over there. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. So we get this hero week of Peter and that you upon this rock I will build my church this idea of a rock so strong right look at what this thing is it is never going to be something else right I find it interesting that Jesus uses the metaphor of a rock Because, yes, rocks are important, and yes, we are standing on some form of rock. Underneath us, there is a layer of bedrock, which protects us at some level from magma. And we have to remember that we aren't on a solid rock ourselves. But why the term rock? And I think there's a couple reasons. Let's get into 
rocks, and there are three major types of rocks. First are igneous rocks. Igneous rocks come from volcanoes typically. So it's some type of melted rock. It's the magma that comes up from a volcano typically. Otherwise, it's the magma that cools on the edge inside the caverns of where the magma is. Depending on how fast or slow the air temperature cools it down is whether or not it turns into these other types of rocks. So you get anything from pumice to obsidian to basalt to granite, all different types of igneous rocks. Another form that's really fascinating, and we'll talk a little bit more on, are metamorphic rocks. So these are rocks that come from other rocks. And when you add heat and pressure, these rocks are transformed. So an easy example of that is marble. Marble is limestone that is put under heat and pressure to make this harder rock of marble. And that brings up the last form, which is sedimentary rocks. Sedimentary rocks are usually sand, silt, dead plants, animal skeletons, something that could have easily been washed away in the water and it's layering, layering, layering. And then over time, the water dries up, the pressure of the other layers on top of it push and almost kind of glue it together, making these distinct layers. Kind of like your notebook for school is multiple sheets of paper and they could come from multiple different trees. So if you look at the side of your notebook, you can see the individual sections of paper. But let's think about this. So igneous rocks, we're getting some type of magma, which is then heat, and then it's going through, if it's erupting, some type of pressure release, or it's getting pushed aside, and that it's the pressure changes and the heat changes are causing this new type of rock. We talked about metamorphic, that it's heat and pressure on some form is transforming a rock. And then we have sedimentary rock, which is the weight, the pressure of multiple layers being added on. Plus, you're having some type of heat change based on typically water probably running through or it drying out to compress. It means it's warming up in some form or fashion. So all these types of rocks are dealing with some type of heat and pressure. And also the idea that rocks are the same from now forever aren't the case. In fact, rocks on Earth are newer than the Earth itself, scientists think and are hypothesizing based off of what we're able to do off of carbon dating and stuff. But rocks would have all started as igneous rocks. And then we go through this rock cycle, uh, you know, getting to the point where there is sedimentary rock, which then can be transformed into something else. So this idea that rocks are constantly moving, hence why we have things the size of a pebble to sand to mountains, all being different sized rocks. So why is Peter being compared to the rock on which the church is being built? I think about this in the aspect that our faith is going to go under heat and pressure. There are times when the faith is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. 
There's going to be times where it's going to be hard to continue to stay that. And even Peter, as we will learn later on, denies Christ multiple times. And we will even see next week, he falls big time. He falls and fails at times under the heat and pressure. But then there's moments like this where Peter rises up. Even looking back a few weeks where he had the faith to walk on the water, but as he got close and as things started hitting him, his faith of question arose. The kitchen, if you want to take it to a cooking term, it got too hot in the kitchen. Can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Peter is strengthening his rock. He's strengthening his faith. And throughout our Gospels, we can see that in Peter. To me, a lot of ways, Peter looks a lot like us. Those moments where the heat and pressure are right and suddenly we take carbon atoms and we look like a diamond. But then there are other times when the heat and pressure come on and we are just a clump of carbon that just keeps on crumpling. Sometimes we are seeing the crystals forming of something much stronger And sometimes they aren't there for Peter. But isn't that who we are to a point? When Isaiah is talking about and bringing up the quarry that which we were dug, this idea that the faith has been passed down, that we are coming from something bigger, but that we're being potentially transformed into a new type of rock? Or Moses. Moses, the one who will question at times his own leadership and why me, God, as we will find out later, questioning why is he the one that's being called to lead his people out of Egypt? Why me? There are much better voices to be able to do this than me. Why? Questioning himself under the heat and pressure of what is going on. The psalmist reminding us that it is not our own being that is doing this. It is God who is giving us the strength to be able to move in the directions of where he is wanting us to go. And Paul in Romans continuing to remind us of that. And that through doing that, we will be transformed. We will move into more of what God is wanting us to be. Not maybe being some type of sedimentary rock that's usually considered a weaker rock based off of the type that it is. Usually, not always. But when I think of marble, I think of a very strong, dense rock. Is that not that much different than what being a living sacrifice and allowing ourselves to be transformed means? When I look at this text and how Peter is being called out, God is calling out the parts of him to be transformed, to become something new, to become something dense, to become something valuable, to become a type of rock that he is going to use. Now, with that being said, there are two things left that we need to briefly touch upon. Because we've mentioned and talked about how we are being transformed. Are we necessarily being transformed into the same type of rock? I would argue, no. That's the reason that there are multiple different types of rocks. There are multiple different types of rocks because multiple different types of rocks do multiple different things when they do it multiply different things well. 
There are weaker rocks, there are stronger rocks. There are some rocks that are good for this and some rocks that are good for that. So when Peter is built on this rock, I will build my church. I don't think it's necessarily talking about Peter purely as the rock. I think it's talking about all of us as the rock. And that each of our rocks, though different, help build the foundation of the church. Each of us giving different aspects and abilities to be able to become a strong foundation for the church. That we're going to need all of us to do this. How I read this is it is a gravel floor on which our church is built of multiple different types of rock. Finally, in the gospel text, Jesus sternly orders the disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. Why? And I think it's really quite simple. Not all of us are transformed at the same rate. Just because it has been revealed to Peter, and that's how Jesus talks about it in this text, that it's been the Father revealing this to you, Peter. This is nothing on your own. Just like Paul referencing later in Romans that it's God transforming us. It's not the other way around. And if that is the case, then us having this revealed to us doesn't all happen at the same rate. We're not all going into the oven as a sheet of cookies, all to be baked at the same rate. We're all going in at different times, different temperatures, and we're all different types of cookies. Just like rocks are transformed into different types of rocks coming from different things, experiencing different things based on their makeup will turn into different things. The process of becoming the rock that where God is turning them might take them longer or quicker, or maybe it reveals one thing, but not all of it. It takes time. And just because it's been revealed to you doesn't mean it's been revealed to them. And that doesn't mean that you need to be pushing them to accelerate that process. We have to trust that God is working with them to continue to reveal It doesn't mean that we can't continue to support them. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to show the light of God through us and be that person. But it does not mean that we pressure cook this and try adding more heat and pressure to get that rock to turn faster. Because that's not our role. Just like last week how we discussed it, it isn't our role to be the one to be casting judgment because we're blind to certain things doesn't mean that we're the ones to be turning up the heat and pressure necessarily on someone either. We have to trust and believe that God is in that process. We are rocks and we're all being revealed these different rocks of life at different times and different phases. And the thing that's hard is that not always are my revelations going to be the same for you at the same time. And sometimes there are things that I reveal and figure out and I have to come back and relearn because I didn't fully get it the first time around. And that's why we also have conversations because there are things that are revealed to you that maybe the first time around I'm not ready for, but maybe another time I will be. But making sure to be able to have that opportunity means you can't be turning up the heat and pressure too quickly. God doesn't do it for you to force you to understand who he is immediately. Make sure that you don't do the same thing to other people. So the Twitter question this week, I'm going to put it as this kind of fun question. What type of rock do you feel like you are? What type of rock do you feel like you are? So do some research. Look into rocks. 
what type of rock do you feel like you are? I would definitely say there are certain parts of me that are really strong. And I think of like granite or marble as really strong. But there are definite parts of me that are like shale. And maybe even wet shale. <laughs> that isn't even fully formed into a rock yet. It's still muddy. And that's okay. Because this is, again, this whole process of faith it's a process. It's exactly that. It takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. And as we continue to walk, we will naturally feel the heat and pressure at times and when we have to speak up or at times where God is pushing us to continue to grow and help us move into where he is moving us next. Maybe it's that we've been this metamorphic rock but he pulls us into the one of these places where actually land is being created and destroyed at the same time. And we get pulled in and melted back down again. And God's saying, nope, that was great. But it's time for you to start again as an igneous rock. I want you to be really strong, but I need you to be totally transformed again. Maybe it's that you need to be under heat and pressure to be metamorphic. Or maybe there's parts of you that just felt a little bit weird And maybe it's because God is just, I'm working on you. I'm bringing this all together. Trust me, you are going to be my sedimentary rock. I'm working on this part of you to be a sedimentary rock. Maybe that's another part of this question is, if you had to decipher what types of your faith are the different three types, igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic, how would you say those different parts are for your faith? Because I think it's really hard to even classify us into one type of rock because we're constantly being transformed. Isn't that what we're trying to do with being a living sacrifice and not being conformed to the world, but being renewed by God helping us to understand his will that we're constantly being fed into? I hope so. Because that's the faith that I believe in. And that's the faith that I know continues to move me forward. It's not even just about moving me forward. It's more about If we're going through that type of transformation as a church body, then we will be continued to be transformed. And I think as we look at the year that 2020 has been, we're in a time of metamorphic change. We're in a time of maybe we're magma being transformed into an igneous rock. Or maybe we're gathering all the silt together to make sedimentary rock. I don't know, but I do know that the church is being transformed and i hope that you are excited about that as much as i am and i hope that we don't continue to fight it or try turning up the heat too quickly and adding pressure it's trusting that god is doing it it's trusting that we are going to be move into this new direction but also be willing and able to let god transform us so we'll wrap this up as we always do i pray god blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.